back in December of 2019, some of you will remember we walked through, we were wrapping up our walk through the book of Leviticus, and when we came to chapter 23, I asked a few questions, and I want to ask those questions again tonight, so they will be new to some of you, uh, questions that we should be asking, of course, and then also questions that uh, maybe after a year, uh, having time um, through, even through the pandemic, um, let's ask them again and see how we're doing, all right? Uh, they're rhetorical, so you don't have to raise your hands. Uh, just think about them in your minds. But here's the first one. Have you learned how to exercise dominion and subdue time? Have you learned how to exercise dominion over and subdue time? The second question is, have you learned how to make time stop? Now, in some cases, it's felt like it's stopped over the past year, right? Out of, out of our control. But have you figured out how to make it stop? Thirdly, have you learned how to always have enough time in a day or week to accomplish all you need or want to accomplish? <laughs> Thank you, Lathan. Have you mastered, the next question, have you mastered the management of your time in such a way that you seem to have more of it than you know what to do with? And then finally, how many of you, again, don't raise your hands or even say it out loud, but how many of you, when asked, how are you doing, never, ever answer, busy, tired, or worn out? <laughs> now, more than likely, the vast majority of us, even back in 2019, I remember hearing from some of you say, well, I, you know, I, I couldn't answer uh, yes to any of those, and it, more than likely, the vast majority of us in this room tonight are, the, are right in that same place. We cannot answer uh, positively. We can't raise our hands. As a matter of fact, um, we know that we are unable to subdue or stop time. We, we can't do it. We're, we're definitely unable to stop what just keeps rolling on at breakneck speed. And uh, we're never able, as Latham said, we're never able to accomplish all that's set before us, whether those be uh, what we want to do, what we need to do, what we have to do, it just seems like the list just gets longer and we don't get anything done. And to have more time than we know what to do with is actually a fantasy. And for some, being busy and tired, let's be honest, for some, it's even, well, it's a competition. We want to see if we can be more busy than the person next to us. And it's almost, a, as I mentioned last year, it's almost this, it's an identity issue. The busier we are, the more important we seem to be in our own minds and also in the minds of others. And weariness and, and uh, busyness is a badge that we wear in honor. And most of us uh, continue to say we want things to be different even after this past year and yet nothing really seems to change. But let me, let me encourage you tonight that the same that was true in 2019 remains true today, and, it's, and that's because it's always been true, and it's remained true since creation. And it will be true until Christ returns. And that truth is this, the Lord has actually built into creation in the calendar, or built into the calendar at creation, seven and a half weeks of rest for everyone in this room. Seven and a half weeks of rest every year for every single person, couple, and family. But 
Unfortunately, it's a struggle for us to take advantage of that, to take advantage of that rest that He offers because we're all in old patterns. We're in old patterns of living that have grown, that we've grown comfortable in and with. And it might surprise you, though, to realize that our passage tonight does not deal with patterns that are too lax in regard to the Lord's day. It actually addresses patterns that are too strict. So strict, in fact, that honoring the Lord's day becomes a burden because the time and energy and effort that it takes to guard the day and secure the rest actually undermines that which the Lord's day is intended to provide. In other words, the rest that the Lord intends for us to experience on the Lord's day is canceled out by the work that we put into securing it. So our question before us tonight as we approach this passage in Luke 6 is simply this, work or rest? Work or rest? And let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Well, Father, as I pray every week, the same is true tonight. We pray that by your Spirit, you would awaken our attention and refresh us and encourage us and even challenge us and convict us and comfort us as we see Jesus and hear his gospel tonight. As always, I am weak and needy, and I am unfit in and of myself for this task that you've called me to, so I ask for your support and your strength and the filling of your spirit that I might be a pure channel of your grace. Would you communicate through me clarity, uh, cl with clarity and clearly and with fluency and fervency and grace for the sake of Christ in this church? I pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, your outline, unlike the words for the children, your outline is in the back of the bulletin in its normal place. We have three points tonight we're going to look at in this passage. Uh, the first is the Sabbath of the Lord. Uh, the second is the Sabbath of the Pharisees. And then finally, we'll look at the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath of the Lord, the Sabbath of the Pharisees, and the Lord of the Sabbath. And you'll notice in each of those, I've had a little... Uh, a few words in parentheses to help us uh, or to help you as you go home tonight and continue to look over uh, the passage throughout this week. So let's begin with the, the Sabbath of the Lord. Uh, as I mentioned several times, I've been mentioning several times as we've been walking through Luke, that Luke is writing and is sharing these things and is moving through the life and ministry of Jesus literarily rather than chronologically. And he's doing that so that he might put forward and, and stress both uh, the authority and the power of Jesus. And so far, we have, uh, we have heard Luke refer to him as the Son of the Most High, uh, the Horn of Salvation, the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, the Beloved Son, the Son of David, and the Son of Man. And tonight, he adds to that the Lord of the Sabbath. He says in verse 5 uh, that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
But in verse 1 and verse 6, you'll notice how he begins both of, uh, both of these events or these circumstances. In verse 1, he begins on a Sabbath, and in verse 6, he says on another Sabbath. So to understand the context of what's going on and what Jesus is encountering and how he's answering what's going on is to go back and to remind ourselves exactly what the Sabbath is or what the Sabbath was. Uh, the common refrain, those of you, again, who were here for Leviticus, the common refrain that I referred to throughout our study was a summary of the goal of creation and redemption that uh, Dr. Michael Morales gave to us. Uh, he said that the goal or aim of creation and the goal or aim of redemption uh, was that we would, or that God would dwell with His people in His house. So the goal of creation and redemption, it was that God desired to dwell with us in His house. And we learned during our study that the goal, we know that that was a goal of creation through the creation narrative itself in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, just as a way of reminder, in verse 3 of Genesis 1, uh, we read that on day one of creation that the Lord created light and He uh, uh, separated it from the darkness and He called uh, the, day, the light day and the darkness night. Then later on in verse 14, we read that on day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and that these were to be for signs and for seasons and for the days and years. In other words, God developed the calendar that He would use eventually to call His people to worship. And we went on to study in chapter 23 of the Feasts and Festivals. Well, then on day six... We read that after God made the beasts of the earth, that he would later, or I'm sorry, that he, uh, he cre later created man. And we have always thought or said that uh, the creation of man was the culmination. It was that culmination of creation itself. But we also said that we've come to realize and we see as we read through this narrative that the creation of man wasn't the culmination. It was actually day seven where the culmination took place. On day seven, we read in Genesis chapter two, verses two and three, that the seven, it was on the seventh day on which God finished the work that he had done. It was on the seventh day on which he rested from all his work that he had done. And it was the seventh day that he blessed and made holy, and that was something that was not said about any of the previous six days. And then, of course, on that seventh day, it, it did not end with, in the narrative, it did not end with, and there was evening and there was morning, which points, to the, points us to God's rest being eternal or never-ending. And so it was this seventh day, this Sabbath day, was a blessed and holy day, and it was a day that no other creature would experience like man because man alone was created in the image of God. Man would dwell with and fellowship with God on this solemn day of rest. It was the goal of creation. And unfortunately, man's sin, the fall, Adam and Eve's fall, interrupted that rest. And so now, the goal of redemption is for that rest to be regained for that rest to be once again entered into, and this time without interruption. Entering into that rest and it being eternal. Now we say, why is that important? And the answer is, in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Leviticus, God reaffirmed 
what one commentator you remember called the weekly rhythm of seven days. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. Six days of work, one day of rest. And that rhythm of work and rest was a pattern of life. And it was established in creation, but then it was... um, that it was to continue and that it was important is reflected in the fact that it was included in the Mosaic Law. And it was a way for people. It wasn't something that they were to do simply in isolation by themselves or in their own home, but they were to gather together and they would fellowship with the Lord, experience His presence, experience His Sabbath rest together as a people. And it was a means by which the nation of Israel would be reminded of God's rest And that they would imitate him within it. Uh, They would be reminded uh, that he was their God and they were his people. It was a day of remembrance and reaffirmation of who they were because of his work. He had redeemed them from their slavery. And they had been in this perpetual pattern of work without ever a day of rest. And now he had redeemed them and set them free. And so now they were to experience that day of rest And so now they had to figure out, what are we going to do with this time that we have, that we haven't had for the last 400 years? And and let me say this, this was a blessing, this day and and trying to determine, what do we do with this day? It was a blessing and a pleasure. It was not a burden. It was a blessing and a pleasure, it was not a burden. And that brings us to the Sabbath of the Pharisees. Look again at verse 1. While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? On this particular Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples are on a walk, and they're walking um, in the midst of and alongside, along the edges of these grain fields. And, and as they were walking, they were doing what was allowed by the law. Deuteronomy 23 allows them to do what they're doing. And what they're doing, as many of us would have done uh, as we walk through the field, is they were what we would call in agriculture is topping. I grew up topping tobacco plants in junior high, and so they were walking through these grain fields, topping these, uh, the, the grain, and then they were rubbing that grain in their hands, and then they were taking out the husks, and they were eating the seeds. Innocent, right? Seems innocent enough, but apparently the Pharisees are following them because they, they show up, and, and then they begin to not really ask a question, but they're, they're simply... Um, They are simply accusing of Christ and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, of breaking the law. In other words, and because they're doing it on the Sabbath. So if they had been doing it any other day, it would have been fine. But because it's on the Sabbath, they decide that they need to speak up. It was a major violation to them. Because they had appointed themselves the Sabbath police. They had self-appointed themselves, and, and they were, had such zeal to guard the commandments as a whole, but also to guard the fourth commandment, that they had come up with a list of activities 
that people were not to participate in. They were, they were a list of uh, don'ts, 39 of them to be exact. And within those 39, there were a list of four in particular that dealt with those who were involved with the harvest season, who were involved in, in harvesting grain. And so they had laws against reaping and threshing and winnowing and preparing. And their definitions were so strict, they were so confined, and they were so concerned about uh, what people were doing that they took what Jesus and his disciples were doing, the breaking and rubbing and removing and eating, as reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing. And the problem was, this was not the actual law. This was not found in the law. This was their interpretation of the law. They were looking at the law through the view or the lens of their own tradition and had come up with these particular rules. And it was simply one example of many, many, many man-made um, laws or, or, or a man-made legislation that was based on their own misguided interpretation of the law that they used to impose a self-righteous and legalistic regulation of behavior for themselves and for others. But the problems didn't stop there. Notice verse 6, on another Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So these, the Pharisees are no longer just simply observing. They're simply no longer just watching. They're simply no longer just, just listening to what Jesus might say. They're on a fact-finding mission. They're looking for those things that they might use to both accuse and convict Jesus of breaking the law. And it seems odd, but for this, for this occasion, this paralyzed man, this man with a paralyzed and withered hand was the perfect opportunity. It was the perfect test. Because, you know, they, they knew that he could heal. He'd been healing, so that's not news. But to this point, he hasn't healed someone on the Sabbath, at least not someone that was in a life-threatening position. Because you see, if it had been a life-threatening position, that was okay. For them, if you saved a life on the Sabbath, well, by all means do it, but don't don't heal somebody if it's not a life-saving situation. If it's just someone like this man, just let him go and heal him on Monday. Move it to another day because it's breaking the Sabbath if you don't. And so the grim reality was their, their man-made, in this case, their man-made legislation that, of course, still comes from that misguided interpretation has moved to this place of separation. It's, it's now separating the love of God from the love of neighbor, which Jesus himself said was a summary of the law. They're putting God at odds with himself. Himself. 
the arrogance and the pride that they failed to see. So the bottom line is these Pharisees were acting like lords, lowercase l, over the Sabbath. They were taking this responsibility that came from the self-appointed authority to establish these rules and these regulations that were all extra biblical and these extra rules and regulations that they had, had established and defined, right, all spoke of what couldn't be done. Don't do this. Don't do that. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, they were so externally focused and became such fans of their own, uh, their own self-righteousness and their own traditions and, and their system of legalness that, or legalism that they began to suffocate, spiritually suffocate people around them. And they had turned what was to be a blessing and a pleasure into a burden. They turned it into exactly what it wasn't to be. Because why? No one could ever rest. No one could ever rest because they were constantly trying to figure out, is what I'm doing work or not? Can I do this? Can I? They say I can't do this. They say I can't do that. Is this? And so I'm topping the grain. Is, is that? I'm, I'm rubbing. Is that really threshing? I, and they had everybody tied up in knots. Not experiencing the rest. And so the monitoring and the adherence to the law was binding, not freeing. The adherence to the law smothered rather than produced life. And it, it became exhaustive rather than restful. And of course, it had also turned what Jesus said as a summary of the law and, and put people into a double bind because the choice wasn't, are you going to love God and your neighbor? The choice was, are you going to love God or your neighbor? And Jesus calls them out. And Jesus calls them out and he looks into their arrogant eyes on both days but on that first day in particular, and he just looks at them, you're just a bunch of spiritual wannabes. You're not lords. You're not lords over the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at verse 3. He says, have you not read? I mean, you can just hear it in his voice, right? You can hear it as I read it. I don't even have to, to provide the inflection. Have you not read? What David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. I am. He said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You'll remember at Matthew's house, I said he began to confront with it about being confrontational. But now he says, no more of that. It's time, for, it's time for confrontation. It's time to be confrontational. He doesn't hold back. He says, look, you guys have read 1 Samuel 21. 
You've read the scriptures, and don't you remember David and those that were with him? They, they go into the temple, and they're hungry, and they ask the priests, and not only do they ask, but they're given, and they eat the bread of the presence, which Leviticus 24 says is off limits to anybody but the priest. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, not you. And he says three very important things as he answers them. First, he says the Sabbath, we know that the Sabbath was a divine institution. It was not a human institution. We've already, we've already seen that tonight, right, in the creation narrative. It was instituted by God. And Jesus is saying very clearly here that, that as the Lord of the Sabbath, as the Son of Man that he's always, already used of himself, he says, as the Lord of the Sabbath, I am God. I'm God. And so ultimately, I am the ultimate authority. I am the ultimate authority regarding the Sabbath. I am the one who properly interprets the law. I have the authority. Remember, this is what we've been doing. I have the exclusive authority. I have the exclusive power, and, and I'm expressing that authority, and I'm expressing that power again because I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and I am in no way, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath, I am in no way in being controlled by, in any way, your Sabbath regulations. Secondly, he says, look, if it was okay for David, right? David was the anointed king. And if it was okay for the anointed king and for his men to eat the bread of the presence that was set apart by law for the priests, then it has to be okay for Jesus. He said, it has to be okay for me. I'm the anointed Messiah, I'm the greater king. I'm the better David. And my men and I have a right to eat the grain on the Sabbath. David and his disciples were, or David and his men were actually violating the law. And here Christ is saying, we're not violating the law. We're just violating your man-made principles. Because what the Pharisees are trying to do is elevate their man-made principles to the level of law. And Jesus says it's not going to happen. And then thirdly, David's men, right? They're serving the anointed king and they're hungry. And so what happens? That need is met. And so now we have Jesus' disciples who are serving the anointed Messiah and they have a physical need. And what does God do but provide for them through the grain on the Sabbath? And very simply, he says that meeting a human need is the greater moral good. Which leads us then to verse 8. Because this is how they're connected. He says in verse 8, he said to the man with the withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life? Or to destroy it. And after looking around at them, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. It's obvious Jesus, again, has moved to this confrontational position because he calls this man out and puts him right in the middle of everybody. Brings him right out into the open, right into the center of everything going on, and says, I want you to stand right here. And the question he basically puts to the Pharisees is, okay, you know, are you on the side of good or evil? 
Is it okay to heal or not to heal? Is it okay to uh, save or destroy? Is it good or evil? That, that's what's going on. He just puts them right on the spot. And they all stand and look at him, and they don't know what to say, or they know what to say, but they don't want to say it because either way, if they were to answer, they have to admit that they were wrong about their position on the Sabbath, or two, they have to admit that they're on the side of evil. So they keep their mouths closed. He's put him in that position, and so, well, we can't answer, and so he's just looking at him, looking at him and waiting, I'm waiting, answer, I'm waiting for any, any one of you, and they don't do it, and so he, as looks at the man, he says, hey, put out your hand, and he heals him, right? heals him right there in front of him, and he answers his own question, absolutely it's right. It's good and right to do what I've just done. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Acts of mercy and loving and serving others is permissible. Right? He says loving God and loving neighbor, is, is, those things are not to be pitted against one another. They together form, they are that, that summary this is how we are to live. They, they aren't to be separated. They are inextricably linked. Dishonoring God, right? Let me put it this way. Dishonoring our neighbor is, we cannot dishonor our neighbor and honor the Lord. If we're going to honor the Lord, we need to honor our neighbor. Dishonoring our neighbor dishonors God. And and he says, listen, for, to, to leave someone who is truly in their suffering, to leave a suffering person in the midst of their suffering on the Lord's day, or really any day for that matter, is evil. And of course, they, they don't like it, and the plotting begins. They've been called on the carpet. And what do people do when, when they're wrong? What do, we, what do we do when we're wrong? We become defensive. We're confronted with the truth. They were confronted with the truth, and what do they do? What do we do when we're confronted with the truth? We immediately push back. We begin to blame. We begin, you name any number of things, and that's simply what they're doing here. They didn't like it because they were wrong. Now, before we profess our common faith together and and come to the Lord's table that he invites us to come to, to fellowship with him. A couple, couple thoughts I want to leave us with, all right? And the first is this. We need to remember in the midst of this that this Sabbath that was created at creation and the Sabbath that we are to keep and that is a part of, of our redemption and that, that, that ultimate rest that we're striving for, we need to remember that the spiritual reality that's pointed to in the Sabbath is only available in Christ. Uh, I want you to listen to Matthew 11. Jesus says there, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I uh, am gentle and lowly in heart and and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And every man, we, we know that every man, woman, boy, and girl begins life in bondage to sin, and there is nothing you or I or anyone else can do to secure our freedom and to secure our redemption from that bondage. And it's an impossible work. And it doesn't matter how hard we work, how long we work. It doesn't matter what we do in regards to work. It's never enough to do what only the Lord can do on our behalf. Our ultimate rest that we've been speaking of, from that ultimate rest from that Endless, perpetual pursuit of salvation is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only found in Him. So the ultimate Sabbath rest, right, to which this weekly Sabbath points, is available only in Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. That is why Jesus is so adamant and doesn't mince words about what the Pharisees are doing to this day. It points to him. It points to why he has come. It's, it points to what he is to provide. And he didn't want these guys convoluting the issue. And so he's matter of fact about it. But, but let me ask these questions before we move on to the second thing. Uh, let me simply ask, have you experienced that rest? Are you experiencing that rest? Are you resting in Jesus for your salvation? Have you ceased striving? Are you finding your comfort in Him alone? Are you looking forward to the eternal rest that only He provides? If you aren't, the call is to come to Him. The call is to call upon His name. Today is the day of salvation. If you are in need, in need of rest for your souls, look to him tonight. And the second point I want to leave you with is this. Chapter 21, uh, point 7 and point 8 of our uh, confession, which we believe to be a faithful summary uh, of Scripture, uh, provides the guardrails, so to speak, within uh, which we are to remain and live and allow others to remain and live, freely remain and live as we honor the Lord by honoring His day. And I'd like to read those two paragraphs to you. It says, as it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in His Word by a positive moral and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. 
This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after due preparation of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of His worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Now, very simply, while the Sabbath points to a spiritual reality that is only available in Christ, that does not mean at any point that there isn't a physical or ongoing spiritual value in observing the Lord's day. It remains. It's a, we've already said it's a rhythm that the Lord established at creation. It was a rhythm codified in the law of God. It was a rhythm that, that the divines valued and reinforced in the confession It's a rhythm that we would do well to maintain in our lives. Work six, rest one. Work hard, practice hard, six, rest on the seventh. Take a break from what can be done on the other six. And build in to that seventh day for you and your family a time. And again, this is what we talked about uh, back in January of 2019. But build into that time a time of reverence. A time when we gather together as, as God's people. And we worship as the family of God. And make, make worship in the gathering of His people a priority in the midst of your week. Build into that time of, of, uh, build into a, a time of remembrance where you remember and reorient yourselves around the gospel. You are, you're inundated with the world six days a week. And you need time to take a step back and to, and to, right, to huddle up and to reorient yourselves around the truths of the gospel and how the gospel impacts you as a family. And then build into that time rest, enjoy one another, enjoy God, enjoy God's people, enjoy His creation, enjoy the blessing of time. Rid yourselves of these deadlines and appointments and performance and and consider subduing some time. Time that, that you provide yourself rest and shut down and unplug. Serve and minister to your neighbor. The Lord will not, I'm a firm firm believer that the Lord will not ask you to forsake the day of rest that He has created for you and for me in order to reach some goal that you believe is a part of His will for you, right? He's not going to pit Himself against Himself. particularly in light of the fact that what we've said the goal, right? His goal is to dwell with us, right? The rest that we are to experience is with Him, and it's a foretaste of our eternal rest, and it's what we've been created for. We must also remember, as Luke has been expressing over and over so far in these six chapters, he is solely the one with the ultimate authority. He is the Son of the Most High. He is the horn of salvation. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and the Lord of the Sabbath. It's He that has the authority to, to let us know how we can and honor 
the Lord, how we can honor the Lord and honor his day. Listen to these words of J.C. Ryle. He says, we must not allow ourselves to be carried away by the common notion that the Sabbath is a mere Jewish ordinance and that it was abolished and done away by Christ. There's not a single passage of the Gospels which proves this. In every case where we find our Lord speaking upon it, he speaks against the false views of it, which were taught by the Pharisees, but not against the day itself. And then he uses this example. He says, the architect who repairs a building and restores it to its proper use is not the destroyer of it, but the preserver. Christ is a preserver of the Lord's day. And in the words of John Nolan, Christ opens up the full potential of the Sabbath as God's gift to man. So if we think just bottom line, May we strive to not be too lax, but also not be too strict in our adherence of the Lord's day. Let's live freely within the boundaries that the Lord has established for us, and let's, let's strive to always understand the spirit of the law as well as, as the letter of the law. And let's understand that in Christ we can experience, in Him we can experience the full potential of the Sabbath. And let's, let's refrain from imposing our own personal and family traditions on others as if it is the law of God. Let's remember that the, also that the Pharisees passed off their traditions in, in don't fashion, right? It's, this is what you shouldn't do, this is what you can't do, but Christ comes along and He says, no, this is what you can do. This is what you, what you get to do. I freed you to do this. You were unable. Now you are able. This is a blessing from the Lord. And I have made it possible for you to experience that. And let's not, let's not only guard against these things in regard to the Sabbath, but let's regard them regard these things in this way or guard against these things in all things. And may our Lord's Day observance and may our lives be a blessing and not a burden to both ourselves and to those around us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.